unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today, man? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I am doing fantastic. It is very cold outside, so I'm glad to be inside a warm studio recording a podcast with you. Yeah, me too. It's um, not that cold here, but it never gets that cold here. Never gets that warm here. It's San Francisco. What can I say? (laughs) Well, the power of technology. I'm freezing and you're nice and toasty and we're being able to talk with each other and record an episode of the podcast. And what do we have in store for the listeners today? Okay, so I don't know how controversial what we say on Copywriters Podcast is, because I don't have that much data or gut feel on the subject one way or the other. But I think I can say with great certainty something nearly everyone would agree on, and that is this. The single hardest part of writing copy is getting started. The terror of the blank page. And where do you start anyway? I mean, After you've done all your customer research, your product research, after you've written all your bullets, after you've brainstormed and schemed and planned, you finally got to grab the beast by its lapels and get started. And you know what's really hard about getting started? Finding your hook. Now, I can't do that for you here today, but what I can do is offer some guidance and a few trampolines to get you going. I'll give you three specific ways to create a hook and tell you about the one way too many people default to way too often that really doesn't work. But we should also remember one thing that always works, and that is this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy, for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So here's the deal. Whatever you say in the beginning of your copy has a hugely disproportionate impact. It's not just copy, really. It's true in any communication. What you say or write at the start sets the tone, frames the conversation, prepares your reader or listener for what's next. See, the people listening or reading, they have these unspoken, even unheard to themselves questions in their mind. Not only when you start and they're listening, the questions are not only, what's this about, but does this have anything to do with me? And can I trust the person who's saying this to me, whatever answers to those questions pop up in their mind or even at a feeling level will determine the frame of mind in which your prospect will read or hear what comes next. And again, this usually happens below the threshold of conscious thought. And ultimately, we're talking about the level and quality of their engagement. Is it open, curious, receptive? Can you sell them? Or is it skeptical, cautious, even bordering on hostile? Are they just going to think about it and then not even think about it? 
So your hook, your headline, and the words that come right after your headline, these will determine that because your hook is pretty much what starts everything off. And when you start right, you got a shot. When you start wrong, you've pretty much blown it. So we'll start with the one thing a lot of people shouldn't do, but they do, but they shouldn't do it because it kills their chances. And then we'll go into three other things with specifics, almost step-by-step templates that give you a much better shot. That's where the notes that you sent me ended off. And I went through the notes and I'm like, okay, I need to know what are these three things plus one thing that David's talking about? All right. Well, then I'll tell you. Um, So let's start with the wrong thing to do. Let's say you don't really have a good idea. So what you do is you hurl this overheated, hyped up jet propelled verbiage at your prospect, hoping that you will dazzle them with your brilliance and get them to believe when all they do is shake their heads in disbelief or simply gag. And there are three problems with this approach. First, when you start hyping, putting everything in superlatives, um, just pumping your language full of adrenaline, when you do that, you lose their trust right away. And you've just blown your only chance to win their trust, which has to happen at the start. I mean, you can win it back, but it's way too much work and it's not likely to happen. Second, your prospects immediately put up their defenses and are suspicious of everything you say later on. And third, you all but guarantee that any good copy that you might have written later will get ignored or ridiculed because it will be seen in such a skeptical light by your skeptical prospect. So in terms of writing this overheated, hyped-up, jet-propelled copy, you don't want to be that guy or gal. Or if you're a gal who likes to be one of the guys, you don't want to be that guy. Another mistake I see people make at the beginning of their sales copy a lot is talking about themselves, talking about their brands, talking about the introducing the new thing from my company or check out this new thing that we're doing or check out my product, whatever, whatever, uh, especially on sales pages online. Um, branding and talking about themselves before they even get to the interests of the reader is maybe it's the, it it ties in kind of with the over hype that you're talking about. But a lot of times I see copywriters do that. And if you're not a well-known brand like Nike or Chick-fil-A or Coca-Cola, starting off with your brand, starting off with who you are, um, it, it doesn't work. And I see copywriters do that a lot too, as their hook. And, uh, yeah, that, that's a really good point. I didn't, I didn't even think of that. I, I assumed that they wouldn't do that, but I would be wrong if I assumed that. I mean, just for the purposes of this conversation, not for a branding consultation, but just for the purpose of this conversation, you could say branding is the degree to which your customers feel you care about them more than about yourself. We'll go with that for now. I'm open to other definitions, but let's talk about the good approaches. What I'm going to talk about is some proven hooks that are really easy to adapt, modify, shape, you know, use for your own purposes. Let's call the first one the anxiety of decision time. Since Everyone goes through this all the time. Making a real decision is never 100% easy because 
mean, sometimes, you know, but a lot of times you have to weigh the alternatives and finally come to a conclusion. Sometimes that's even painful to do. So what makes it worse? What, what takes it like to the max? There's an impending catastrophe. There's an impending catastrophe and you have a huge decision to make. It needs to mean something. And what I'm talking about here is what we're going to be using to build a hook. It needs to mean something important to you. And that needs that importance, that meaning needs to come across to your reader. Now, a few phrases you can use to start this kind of hook would be I was up against the wall, or I felt trapped, or I tried everything, but nothing worked. However, not doing anything was not an option. Of course, then you need to come up with a tough decision you had to make that would tie into your offer. The, let's just give you one example here. The problem could be a power outage in a screaming newborn baby in the other room like this. I was up against the wall. It was the middle of the night and we just had a power outage and baby Denise, three days home from the hospital, was crying her eyes out. It was only then I remembered the never fail emergency flashlight I kept in the top left dresser drawer just for situations like this. Okay, it's not War and Peace. It's not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's it's not uh, Marvel. It's it's not The Irishman. But compare, I was up against the wall, etc. To this, introducing the longest lasting, brightest, most powerful flashlight ever seen, three times as bright as the sun. See the difference? Yeah. Right. I mean, that's what the overhyped, overheated language sounds like when you can't come up with anything else. Introducing, right? Boring. And, you know, I don't think any flashlight's going to be three times as bright as the sun. (laughs) Well, I I think the the point that you kind of alluded to is uh, this is what works in stories. A story immediately hooks you with, oh, what's, what's at stake? What's the the protagonist has their back up against the wall. What happens if they don't make the right decision? And that's really hard to ignore. If you pick up a book and the book and the writer knows what they're doing and they hit you with those things right away, it's almost impossible not to keep reading. The same rule applies to sales copy. Yeah. I like what you said and I agree with you. And the reason I didn't say story is unfortunately these days, Thank you, Joseph Campbell. Thank you, Robert McKee. Unfortunately, these days, when you say story, people think of the hero's journey, right? It was just a day like any other day. And then, you know, as opposed to this is the crisis climax and resolution of the hero's journey. It's only a little piece of what most people think of as a story. But yes, it is certainly in story form. That is true. All right. Let's, uh, let's keep going. Okay. Next one is rivalry. The power of push and pull. Rivalry is really interesting because it comes in a couple of forms, and both of them really great for hooks. One is internal. It's when you're being pulled by conflicting feelings in two different directions, or you could think of the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder. Okay. Um, The other is external. External rivalry. It's a rivalry between two people. It doesn't need to be a pitched rivalry. It doesn't need to be hostility, threat of violence, you know, lives, you know, the ability to con- 
continue breathing does not need to be on the line. All you need is a solid contrast and a little competitiveness. So the classic example, a lot of people know, it's the tale of two young men letter from the Wall Street Journal. And that letter ran for years. It's about two young men. They went to the same college. They graduated at the same time, presumably equals, more or less, at the time they graduated. 25 years later, they met at a reunion. One guy is the department manager at a Midwestern corporation, but the other one is president of the whole operation. The difference between the two, now, this is just my imagination, but I imagine both guys, their eyes were blue, hair was blonde, they're both five foot 11, um, weighed about 190. Um, but the president had been reading the Wall Street Journal all these years. And while it never said so, it implied that the guy who was only a department manager hadn't been reading the Wall Street Journal. It sounds corny, right? Sounds really, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe again, it doesn't reach the level of, um, Tolstoy or F. Scott Fitzgerald, but that letter ended up bringing in $2 billion in tract business, and it's the highest recorded revenue for any direct mail piece anywhere ever, okay? Now, you could do the same thing in another industry, like let's take copywriting. Uh, let's take copywriting coaching. Two guys graduate from college. After a few years, one of them signs up for copywriting mentoring. And the other one doesn't. And 10 years later, we're at a big direct mail publisher and one guy's the copy chief and the other guy is just a copywriter. And the difference? The difference is the copy chief had mentoring and the copywriter didn't. He just sort of learned on the fly by the seat of his pants. You know, I could use that kind of story myself to promote my own copywriting mentoring. But to be clear, I don't have a story exactly like that. The reason I put it together that way for this example is I wanted to show how you can take the exact structure. The reality is you shouldn't use a story like that in actual copy if it's not true, because that could be um, like a landmine in this era of increasing regulatory eagerness. So, um, but I can, I can tell you, for example, I have a client who made more in quarterly royalties for a single sales letter just a few months ago than another copywriter who just applied for mentoring usually makes in a whole year. So I could probably work that into something like a VSL. And I've seen a lot of people use this tale of two, you know, whatever. It's not a tale of two cities. It's, it's like, you know, the, the Wall Street Journal, Two Young Men letter, that, that kind of tale, the two, tale of two young men. I saw it once from, <laughs> this one made me laugh. It was um, in a promo for a clown college, a tale of two young clowns. But anyway, um, hey, clowns, clown colleges have a right to market too. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on all this? I think that why this works so well, and I'll ask you your feedback on it. I think it's because it's the drama the, the conflict and the drama, those are two things that human beings have a very difficult time turning away from. There's not a whole lot of conflict. It's not like the department manager went up to the president at the, at the picnic, shot up his middle finger and said, screw you, I should have been president. There, there, 
there's not that level of conflict. <laughs> Although that that would have been an interesting thing to test, don't you think? Wall Street Journal in 2020, you could do it at the time, maybe not. Um, no, I would say contrast, um, which is a little less than conflict, right? Because conflict usually means two people want different things or, or you have an irreconcilable difference. What I meant when I said conflict is I meant the internal conflict, because now you've got two paths that you have to choose from. Andre Chaperone, I think, used this same tactic in one of his sales letters for one of his business. Um, it was like the some entrepreneurs do this thing and get these results. Other entrepreneurs do this. I was telling you before we got on the call, I just wrote a sales letter for one of my clients' books, and we used this exact same thing. It was uh, some guys focus on this type of mindset and then other guys focus on this type of mindset and that's why they get different results it's the internal conflict of i have these two paths that i have to choose one or the other and i'm being pulled in two different directions yeah i agree with you 100 percent. there it, it's the story almost generates a different internal conflict where where the person is saying which which of these two people do i want to identify with do I want to identify with the guy who's sort of stuck in bureaucratic middle management, or do I want to identify with the leader, the president, the alpha male, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and that right there is hard for people. Once you grasp or, or once you've got them with that hook, it's hard for them to turn away until they have a sense of completion about it. Yeah. So you get your Zagurnik effect too, right? When you have some copy and the performance of the copy is mission critical, who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. They don't do copy critiques last time I checked. A lot of people, from the most advanced to the up-and-coming copywriters, reach out to me. I do copy critiques. One client, Brett Alcorn, has hired me 20 times. Yep, 20 times. That's because on the very first critique I did for him, he doubled his conversions on a video sales letter. Every month, I do a handful of critiques for GKIC members. These are copywriters and small business owners who are trained and experienced, but they need another set of experienced eyes to go over their copy to take it to the next level. One A-lister told me I go over a copy like an IRS auditor. Now, I wasn't sure whether to take that as a compliment or not, but he assured me it was. He said I can find the one flaw or several flaws in copy that no one else was able to and make winning suggestions on how to fix them. So when you need a copy critique, just go to garfinkelcoaching.com and click on the services tab, garfinkelcoaching.com for a critique. Thank you. And now back to the show. Let's talk about another approach to hook. It's it's transformation. And I want you to look at transformation and, uh, or be open to looking at it in a different way than you might. You might think of transformation as, you know, uh, the caterpillar into the butterfly or, you know, the Charles Atlas guy on the beach, um, you know, skinny gets sand kicked into his face into a brooding hulk. But understand, not all transformations are that major, that graphic life is a series of transformations and a lot of people don't see everyday solutions to mundane problems as a transformation but look at it this way if you have dry skin and you discover gold bond is a moisturizer that works perfectly for you 
you could use that change as an example of a transformation. What you have to realize is that a lot of things that we sell are actually pretty mundane products to solve pretty mundane problems. Unless it's your problem, unless it's keeping you from sleeping at night or sitting still in a Zoom call because your skin is itching so much, right? Then it's not mundane anymore. But in life, people aren't always doing heroic things. They need extraordinary tools to help them do. Sometimes they just need to solve a problem. Sometimes they just have dry skin and they can't find a damn thing that works. As a copywriter, your job is to make the transformation that the product provides exciting and dramatic enough to get your prospect's attention to capture their imagination in a way that makes sense to them and is believable. So you're taking the mundane and you're raising it out of the mundane. You may not make it, you know, like, um, you know, the movie Independence Day or Men in Black or uh, the Titanic, it, but it's not like, oh, got itchy skin? Just try this stuff. Hey, man, it's cool. You know, there, there's a middle, middle ground for this. And so when you can portray a, solving a problem that's important to your prospect in a way that really engages them when they're hearing about it, learning about it, reading about it. You can sell a lot more than if you simply state the facts and let the chips fall where they may. So let me, let me give you a few, um, few starters for using transformation as a hook. It was just another day until I stumbled upon and then you describe a solution to a problem that will eventually be revealed in your offer. Or, I struggled with this problem for years until I mentioned it to my friend. And eventually, of course, your friend tells you about something, lets you segue into your offer. Or, today could be the last day you'll suffer from and describe the problem that your offer solves. And these are just starting points, but they will get you focused and they will get you going on a, your hook a lot faster than just staring at a blank page. I like that last one that you said today could be the last day you struggle with because immediately it's talking about me instead of talking about you. And it's talking about something I'm struggling with. If I, if I was struggling with something and I read that as a headline or as a hook, there's no way I wouldn't be able to finish reading the rest of that sales letter. Yeah, yeah, it it's uh it is very powerful. Well, thank you. So, okay, let's summarize this. The hook is everything in your copy. You know, Cervantes said in Don Quixote, "Todo es comenzar a ser venturoso," which can be translated as to be lucky at the beginning is everything. And really, who doesn't want to get lucky? Now, for people who know Spanish better than I do, remember this was the Spanish of 1612 when he wrote it, not 2021. So I know you might say something a little different, say it a little differently today, but that's how he wrote it in Don Quixote. Anyway, start with a good hook. There are many ways to do it, but one way I strongly advise against, and that is to mentally give up trying to come up with something. And just start throwing a bunch of power words out randomly, hoping your hyperbole and your intensity will win people's trust, curiosity. Don't do that because it won't. All right. 
So I think that's about it. I did want to ask your opinion about one thing. Another problem that I see with hooks is a lot of times they kind of beat around the bush or uh, it takes a, a, sometimes it takes copywriters a while to actually get to the hook. And as far as when you're going back through and you're editing your hook, any ideas on uh, making a hook more potent or making a, a hook hit harder? Because I see a lot of times maybe it's the third or fourth paragraph of the hook before I even realize what the hook of this sales copy is. Okay, well, let me let me give you an indirect answer to a question about indirect hooks, and then then I'll bring it on home. So imagine you were fishing, and you had this little device that had three shells, like a three-card Monty, and you would put the shells in front of the fish and say, if you can guess which shell the bait is behind, then I will show you the bait. And so the fish says, oh, that one. Nope, that one. Nope, that one. Oh, good. And then he bites, takes the bait. How likely do you think that would work? Oh, less than one out of three. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, fish, fish, fish aren't patient with that kind of stuff. So what you're talking about, I mean, sometimes it's, it's good to have a professional critique or a, someone in your mastermind or um, someone who, who understands copy, another copywriter who you could trade favors with to look at it because um, sometimes it's hard for you to see that or you have developed this incredible rationale in your mind as to why you shouldn't hit the nail on the head but why you should walk on eggshells around it for three paragraphs before you do. I've done that. We all do that. You know, we're, we're constructing stuff in our mind and sometimes we have the most amazing reasons for seeing things a certain way. But there is this habit that writers have that editors tend to scornfully jibe writers about. And that says, well, it seems like the first three paragraphs, you were just clearing your throat. Yeah. And that's what I noticed about all of your examples today is they got to the point in one sentence, every single example, it was one sentence and there's your hook. And a lot of writers struggle with that. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's not only okay, it's, it's mandatory to rewrite after, after you've written. And I, I realized that I, you know, I, I'm just wired that way. I, I don't understand it, but I, I just get to the point. It's, brought me a lot of rewards and caused me a lot of pain in my life. Believe me, both, but you're wired the way you're wired. But the, th the thing is these days, even more than five years ago, you really got to get to the point fast. Now there, there are a lot of ways to do it. I mean, I saw a client showed me his copywriter's Facebook ad for another one of his copyrighted clients yesterday it only had about 12 words in it and it was just freaking brilliant. And it didn't even seem like it was getting to the point. It was just like three kind of random questions. And, but as, as we talked about it, it turned out the copywriter had done extensive research with his target market and he knew exactly what internal dialogue was going on in all of their minds. And because it, it was a particular profession, a particular job where they all had basically the same goal, 
they they had very and and a very standardized language football coaches um that you know it was fairly easy to talk to each one of them using the same words and so he he addressed pain points and it it was like okay um if we have any japanese listeners i apologize in advance it was better than haiku <laughs> All right. This was this has been one of those episodes where I definitely recommend going back and re-listening to it, especially listening to your examples because they were so succinct on the point and just just hit the nail on the head, man. Anything else before we're out of here? No, just if you want to hear more of these, you should go to copywriterspodcast.com. Or you can find us by searching for David Garfinkel Copywriters Podcast on YouTube. All right. Awesome. David, thank you again for another fantastic episode. That website again is copywriterspodcast.com and we will catch you next time. Catch you next time. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app so we can get into ears of more listeners. Thank you. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.